How's everybody doing today? So we had, uh, how, how many of y'all went with us last night to play miniature golf? So a few of you did. Uh, we had a lot of fun. It was a whole lot of fun. And uh, uh, yesterday was just a, it was a really, really good day for my family. We had fun playing golf last night. Uh, Jeannie beat all of us. She had the best score. Way to go, Jeannie. She was fantastic. She was fantastic. And, and the, uh, uh, the, 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 well, no, actually, the, the Conrad Acord family won the trophy. Yeah. So every Sunday they'll change who gets to keep the trophy at their house for a week. So, uh, but they won. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and, and, but yesterday we had, actually yesterday Joy and Faithy and I, we had gone over to Sacramento. Faith had a, a cross-country tournament there, uh, the Capitol Cross cross-country tournament. It's pretty big, pretty big. There are about 6,000 runners there from all across the western United States, a lot of colleges, a lot of high schools. And, uh, but it was a great time. Caleb came out to watch Faith run as well. Faith got a PR yesterday. She got a PR, personal record, uh, in, in the three-mile. Uh, but it was a great day. And then afterwards, we went out for, for pancakes as a family and just had a lot of fun together. And, you know, I, I kind of feel like that's kind of what church is supposed to be like. It's supposed to be like a family. It's supposed to be like a family. It's supposed to be in, in, in our family... You know, we are, uh, when we, we, we're, we always have an extra chair available. We do. You know, if one of our kids invites a friend over or we invite a friend over, we try to incorporate you at our table just like family. And that's the kind of family we want to be as a church. We want to be a very, very inclusive family because there are people in this community who desperately need a place to belong. They need a place to belong, just like here at Solana Valley. And they need a place where, where they can, can hear about a God um, who is faithful, who is good, who loves them, who's gracious, who's merciful, who's holy, who's righteous in all of his judgments. But he loves us and receives us uh, with, with grace. And that's the kind of church we want to be. Uh, this morning we're gathered here for a couple of things. We are gathered here to worship God, uh, and then we are also gathered here to hear from God. And uh, I want to share a little verse with you. This is something I've been meditating on uh, recently, in recent months, in my personal quiet time, my personal time of worship and prayer. And Psalm 46 says this. It says, God is our refuge and strength. You hear that? God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Uh, I was thinking about that, and, and I, I meditate on this, and I think about this, and I think about what does it mean? What does it mean is that, that God is our refuge? And I don't know what really appeals to you. I love using a little bit of, uh, of sanctified uh, imagination to think about what this means. But, but for me, I think, about, uh, I, I think about, you know, like maybe a dark, stormy night, uh, a dark, stormy night where, where you've got this, uh, this very cold, um, torrential downpour of rain. And you have this wind that's just, it, it's a, a biting wind that just cuts right through you. And, and, and I think of a refuge, I think of a refuge as being uh, a, a house, uh, maybe built of stone. Uh, it's warm, it's cozy on the inside. There's, there's a, a, a big 
blazing fire and the fireplace that warms the whole home. That there's a pot of coffee set aside there for me. That there's some, some really good food. Uh, but I think of that as being a refuge in the storm. And what the Bible tells us is that God is our refuge and strength. He's our refuge. Do you need refuge in your life? God is our refuge. God's our strength. You ever feel weak? I feel weak sometimes. You ever feel weak? And what the Bible tells me is that God is my strength. That there is no shame in feeling weak. Oh, we, You know, guys, we don't like feeling weak. We don't. Every movie you've ever watched is about how strong a man is, regardless of what generation you come from. John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, Tom Cruise, or whoever the next guy is. Um, who's the guy who plays Thor? Chris Helmsworth? Okay, Chris Helmsworth. What the Bible tells us is that, that we have a strength that's greater than their strength. See, God is our strength. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is an ever-present help in trouble. Do you have trouble in your life? Tomorrow when you get up and you go to work or when you go to school, are you going to be facing any kind of trouble? Do you have any, any trouble in your daily rhythms? What the Bible tells us is that God is our refuge and strength. He is an ever-present help in trouble. And I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to say with me, God is our refuge and strength. Can you do that? God is our refuge and strength. Can you say it again? God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Let's say the whole thing together. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. What I want to encourage you to do is take time periodically this week. And when you feel afraid, when you feel like you're in trouble, when you feel, not trouble you bring on yourself, you know, like kids, you get in trouble with mom or dad, okay? Although God is with you in that trouble, all right? But he's probably on the side of mom and dad if you're in that kind of trouble. But God, but if you're in other kinds of trouble, God's with you in that trouble too. Sometimes moms and dads, they feel like, you know, we feel like we're in trouble. And what I want you to be mindful of, and what I want you to do, is I want you to worship God by declaring the Word of God. I, I, I think that, that we can declare God's praises through, through music. I think that's wonderful. But I think we can declare God's praises as simply as opening our Bible and just declaring to ourselves and declaring to God what God's Word says that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. It doesn't mean we won't feel fear, but we don't have to be hijacked by our fear. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea, we will not fear. I just want to give you some words to kind of think about, to reflect on, to worship God with. So this morning we're gathered here, we're gathered here to worship God, and we're also gathered here to hear from God. But before we begin to open up God's Word, uh, I'd like us to take just a moment, and I'd like us to pray, okay? 
God, today we want to confess that you are our refuge and strength. You are our ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, we will not fear because you are with us. You are our God. You are our refuge. You are our strength. God, today we are here to worship you, and today we are here to hear from you. And we ask you, God, to speak to us. Help us, Lord. Help us to humbly receive the word implanted. Help us to humbly receive the word implanted that's able to save our souls. God, today we invite you to speak to us. We pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. Right now we're doing a series on the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, today we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So I'd like to encourage you to open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And uh, there's a reason why I'm skipping chapters 5 through 7. I want to pick that up again next week. I'll explain it more to you then. But today we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And uh, to help me do that, help us do that, uh, I want to know, I need to know from you guys, uh, anybody here that loves Captain Crutch cereal as much as I do? Yeah, Carmine's hand went up real fast. Faithy's did too. A few others back here. Isabella, Betty. Yeah, a lot of us like like uh, Captain Crutch. Any of you guys, I see Abram's hand too, okay? I see that hand. I see that hand. All right. Um, so anybody here? Love Cocoa Krispies. Oh, Kathy's hand went up fast. It went up first, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Matt's got two hands up. Two hands up. So, Isabella. All right, all right, all right. Ellie. So, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. If you had to live in a world that had only one cereal, how many of you would choose Captain Crunch? Okay, so we've got a few people over here who would choose Captain Crunch. All right. All these guys back here. And... If we had to live in a world that had only Cocoa Krispies, how many of you would live in that world? Oh, okay. We got a few of those as well. We got a few of those as well. All right. Who's the Captain Crunch people? All right. Isabella, come down here, baby. And so I saw your hands go up for the Cocoa Krispies. All right. All right. And then there's a couple of us who would only live in a world of oatmeal. <laughs> is that not true? Is that not true? Terry, I'll get you one next time, okay? All right. So, yeah. <laughs> like Oprah? <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Uh, so, so, uh, so, listen. You know, I, I really love Cocoa Cr- uh, Cr- or Captain Crunch, Cocoa Crunch, okay? Uh, I love Cocoa Krispies. I love Captain Crunch. I love it all. I love it all. Uh, and, uh, you know, in the ancient world, in the ancient world, it was very, very interesting, like with the ancient Greeks, the ancient Hebrews. And the book of Corinthians, it was, it was or, or the ancient Greeks, the ancient Romans in particular, I wanted to talk about them. Uh, the, the, the book of Corinth is written to a group of Christians who lived in the city uh, that was a very important city in Greece. It was also, it was a, the administrative capital of that part of Greece under Rome, under Roman rule. And uh, with the, the Romans and with the Greeks, they had a superstitious understanding of the supernatural world. And they had a superstitious 
understanding of demons, evil spirits. They didn't have a divinely inspired understanding. They had a superstitious understanding. And you know what they believed? They believed that the air that we breathe, they believed that the world that we live in is filled with, these were the Greeks the Romans, they believed that, that the, this air that we breathe, this world that we live in, is filled with evil spirits, with demons. And what they believed is that these demons, these evil spirits, could attach themselves to the food you eat. That's right. They believed that whatever you eat, that a demon, an evil spirit, could attach himself to that. And they believed that when you ate that food, you would be possessed by that evil spirit. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but nothing messes up a bowl of Captain Crunch more than a demon possessing your body, okay? It just kind of takes the fun out of eating Captain Crunch or eating Cocoa Krispies or even oatmeal. And so they came up with this really uh, brilliant idea. And their idea was this, is they believed that there were a lot of different kinds of gods in the world. And they believed that if they took that food that they were about to eat, and they believed that if they first sacrificed that food, that meat, on an altar to their God, their God would protect them from the demon who wanted to attach himself to your food. And so what you would, would do is you would take your food to the local temple. And a portion of the, the meat that you would offer would be offered there as a sacrifice. You would give a little bit of it to the priest, the cultic priest. And you'd get to take the rest of it home with you. But you believed by doing that that you were safe. Now, in, in Corinth, it was kind of like this. There were all these temples to all these different gods. There was one temple I'll probably tell you more about in the next couple of weeks called... Uh, the, the temple of Aphrodite, where there were uh, a thousand priestesses. And, um, and, but, but they believed that these gods that they sacrificed their food to would protect them from these evil spirits and their demons. And, and so what they would do is they would sacrifice that food. Well, well, what happened was one day this guy named Paul went to Corinth. We can read about this in Acts chapter 18. But Paul went to Corinth. And he began to tell the people there about Jesus. He began to tell those people that Jesus was the Son of God. And that that by saying the Son of God, not meaning that he was somehow inferior to God, but he was very God as God the Father is God. And he began to tell them about how Jesus came and how he went to the cross for our sin as our sacrifice on our behalf. And that he was raised again on the third day. And he began to explain to them how if they would put their hope, their faith, their trust in Jesus, that God would save them. He would save them from their sin. He would save them from these these imaginary demons and evil spirits that were superstitiously taught in the ancient world. I think someone's at the door. Um... I don't know what it was, but anyway. Uh, but he, he, he began to tell them about Jesus. And what happened is more and more of these Corinthians began to put their hope, their trust in Jesus. Now, there's a problem. There was a problem for these young Christians living in Corinth. 
Because when you went to the butcher shop to get your meat, it was attached to a temple where they would sacrifice the meat first to an evil, or excuse me, to, uh, to, a, um, to an idol, to a false god. Or you would go to uh, this place, uh, a, a dining hall, but the dining hall where you would eat was attached to a temple. Or you would go to a friend's house, and they would have food there for you to eat, but they probably got it at the local butcher shop attached to a temple. So everywhere you went to get food, you were getting food that was sacrificed to idols. And so this for them became a, a huge point of, of, of question. Is it okay, as a Christian, to eat food that had been sacrificed to an idol, to a false god. And what happened is that, that some people believe, hey, you know what? These false gods, we know, we know, we know, that these idols are false gods. They are not a representation of the one true God. They're false gods. And when we know there's no other God but our God, and so we know that if we eat this food that's been sacrificed to an imaginary God, it has no effect on us. Therefore, it has no effect on me, and I can eat all I want. But there were other people, young believers, young followers of Jesus, and for them, it was, it was like, well, wait a second. If I'm eating food that's sacrificed to that God, then I'm kind of like participating in that, that worship as well. Do you understand the, the dilemma in Corinth? Uh, so what does God say to these people in this place of, of struggling, in this place of, of, you know, what does God say to us about, um, about what kind of food we can eat and what kind of food we can't eat? So if you have your Bible, I want you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And what Paul does is Paul speaks to this concern that they had. And the very first two, the very first two words here, it says here, now concerning. Understand that there had been a, a person who had written to Paul about some of the problems that the church in, in Corinth was having. And what Paul was doing is he was systematically going through and addressing each of those concerns. So his first concern was about division in the church. In, in chapters 5 through 7, he addresses concerns about sexuality, marriage, and single life. And then chapters uh, 8 through 10, he addresses concerns about, uh, <clears throat> uh, concerns about food. Then finally, in verses, uh, excuse me, chapters, uh, uh, let's see, 11, excuse me, is that right? Yeah, 11 through 14, he talks about concerns about the church gathered. And then ch- chapter 15, he talks about uh, the resurrection. And, and so in, in chapter 8 here, he's now going to turn to them and he's going to address this concern that they have about food offered to idols. And what Paul writes to the Corinthians, is he says, now concerning food, Offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. I want to pause there for a moment. All of us possess knowledge. You notice how it's in quotation marks? In many English translations, it's in quotation marks because it's believed that what Paul was doing is he was actually quoting from this letter that he had received. And there were some of them who were claiming that they had special knowledge. And with that knowledge, they thought that because they knew this, they were superior to others who didn't know. Are you with me here? 
kind of important to understand a little bit of the context here. That there were some people who believed they had special knowledge, and with that special knowledge, they believed that that knowledge made them a little bit better than other people. Uh, does that happen in our world today? Do people sometimes get a little bit inflated by what they think they know? And do sometimes people think they know and later find out they don't know as much as they thought they knew? Any of you ever have that experience? It's the reason I started a church. Then we started the church and I found out what I didn't know, which was a lot. And so what, what Paul says, he says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge that you're talking about puffs up. It makes a person proud. It makes a person arrogant. This knowledge puffs up, but love, love's different. Is love important in 1 Corinthians? Yeah, you bet. You remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the whole chapter on love? Uh, 1 Corinthians is an important theme. Uh, 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 love is an important theme in 1 Corinthians. He says, he says, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines, key word, imagines, thinks, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he's known by God. See, that's a better kind of knowledge. And it comes from, from love. Uh, verse 4, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols... We know that an idol has no real, it, it, no real existence and that there's no God but one. For although there are many so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods, many lords, and what he says, many gods, many lords, he means false gods, false lords. Yet for us, there is one God, one God. Who's this God? The Father. For us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, for whom we exist. See, there's one God. He's the God who created everything. He is the God for whom we exist. And he says, uh, also, and there is one Lord, one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things. Everything that there is, everything that there is, is here through Jesus. Through whom are all things and through whom we exist. See, the reason that you exist, the reason that I exist, we owe our very existence to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, folks, that means he has pretty exclusive claims on you. Christ has exclusive claims on me. He has exclusive claims on you because we exist through him and because he died for us and he bought us. That's huge. That's huge. Verse 7. He says, but however, not all possess this knowledge. Not everybody understands all of these things. There are some of us who are newer Christians, and we don't yet really understand some of this stuff. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, meaning that they were once the worshipers of these, uh, uh, the, the gods of the ancient religions of Greece and Rome, uh, through former association with idols, they eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Now, and, and then Paul wants them to understand 
the truth about this. He says, food will not commend us to God. Food, food doesn't commend us to God. Uh, we're no worse off if we do not eat, and we're no better off if we do. But take care that this light of yours, eating this meat, does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged? And if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so you, by your knowledge, you, by your knowledge, um, by you, you, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Now, the good news is when you go to Rayleigh's today or Safeway or wherever you shop, Target, wherever you shop, Costco, wherever you go to do your grocery shopping, when you go in and you don't and you buy you know, you buy a T-bone steak. I don't know. We don't buy T-bone steaks. We buy hamburger meat or ground turkey. Uh, but we, when, when you go to the store today, you don't have to worry about whether or not uh, your ground turkey was offered first to, uh, to an idol. We don't really deal with that. But I do believe that there's some principles in this text that are really important for us. I, I think that part of what Paul is saying to us is that life is about a lot more than not eating. Okay, It's not about eating or it's not about not eating. It's about living God's redemptive work and His grace in our lives. It's what For us, we're not saved by our works. We're not saved by a list of rules. Okay, I'm not saved by following the rule, thou shalt not dance. I heard that rule a lot when I was a kid. I, you know, I'm not going to be saved by that rule, thou shalt not go to the movies. Uh, I'm not going to be, um, I, I'm not made right with God by obeying that rule. Thou shalt not play cards. Thou shalt not read the, the newspaper on Sunday. Uh, th- thou shalt not eat meat sacrificed to gods. And what religion does, religion is like poison. Religion is poison to the soul. Because religion tells us if we obey all the right rules, That'll make us right with God. Religion is poison. It, it, it exalts itself against God. By the way, irreligion is also poison. Irreligion tells us we don't need God. Religion exalts itself against God, and we, in a sense, end up saving ourselves by the things we do or the things we don't do. That's a message. That's not the gospel. And then irreligion says, well, I don't really need God. I can do whatever I darn well please. Uh, I don't need God. And so that's, that's what we have in our world. So much of in our world today is we, we either have this religion that's like poison or we have this irreligion that's like poison. And what we need is we need something better than that. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. We need the one true God. Uh, and we need Jesus, and <clears throat> we don't make ourselves, and, and this is part, man, this is the, 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 sometimes if we're not careful in our churches, we think that we're made right with God by what Jesus has done for us, 
and then we improve on what Jesus has done by following all the right rules. And that's not really what the Bible teaches either. And so what we have to grapple with is, is what does it mean to apply the gospel to our lives in a way that's enriching for us, but is also enriching for other people around us? It's about more than following rules, and, uh, and I'll get to what that is here in a moment, okay? The Corinthians were struggling with more than whether or not it was okay to eat food sacrificed to idols. They were, they were struggling with a deficient understanding of knowledge, a deficient understanding of love, a deficient understanding of exercising their rights, and a deficient understanding of our responsibility to live in a way that edifies others especially when it means using self-denial. Four real basic principles I want to share with you today. First one is this. Uh, Knowledge that is selfish and conceited puffs up, but love builds up. Okay? I mean, we need to understand that basic principle. There's a kind of knowledge that creates arrogance, that creates pride in us. And, And... uh, we don't really need that kind of, of knowledge. Knowledge that is selfish and conceited puffs up, but love builds up. Where is that in the text? Verse 1. The Paul says, this knowledge, this, this distorted knowledge, puffs up. It makes us arrogant. It makes us proud. But love builds up. Okay? Important for us to understand. Knowledge, arrogant knowledge, puffs up, but love builds up. Second principle, uh, really simple. When a person is arrogant about their knowledge, they're not as smart as they think they are. Okay? When someone is arrogant about their knowledge, they're really not as smart as they think they are. One of the things that I do when I read my Bible and when I pray and when I study and when I prepare for messages on Sundays, I spend a lot of time reading the Bible. I spend a lot more time reading my Bible, studying my Bible, than I do reading commentaries. But I will always, like today, in getting ready for this message, I read five different commentaries. And what I'm looking for is I'm looking for, am I in agreement with other people? Because if I'm reading ideas and thoughts that I'm sharing with you, and nobody else is seeing the same kind of stuff, I probably need to do a little bit more study. Okay? It's unlikely that I'm far more insightful than everybody else. Now, that doesn't mean I don't need to read my Bible. I go back and I study it more. And I need to read and I need to to understand, I need to study the Bible. But I need to be careful that I do not allow uh, my study or my growth and knowledge to create in me a sense of arrogance. That I'm a little bit better than everybody else. Okay? Um, So knowledge is selfish uh, and conceited, puffs up, love builds up. When a person is arrogant about their their knowledge, they're not as smart as they think they are. And verse 2, what Paul says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, He does not yet know as he ought to know. Okay? Uh, Third principle is this. There's only one true God, the Father through whom all things are made uh, and for whom we exist. And there's only one true Lord through whom all things are made and through whom we exist. Verse 6. Yet for us there's one God, the Father, from whom are all things, for whom we exist, and one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom Uh, are all things and through whom we exist. Fourth principle is it's better for us to set aside our rights to edify others. You know what I mean by edify? To build up, to encourage, to strengthen them. Uh, It's better 
uh, it's better for us to set aside our rights to edify others than to selfishly exercise our rights at the expense of others. In verse 13, Paul says, Therefore, if food, this food that, that sacrificed to idols, makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again, lest I make my brother stumble. And what Paul is telling us is that more important than satisfying our appetites is doing what's right that encourages and builds up the people around us. Now, this is what I want you to think about for a moment. I want you to think about what happens in a home. What happens in a marriage? What happens in the workplace? What happens at school? What happens in our community when people are guided by by knowledge that's humble and by love that edifies others? What happens? What happens when we begin to to do, not just exercising our rights, doing what I feel like is right for me, but I began to make a habit of doing what's right and best for other people around me. When I began to, to adopt that practice in my home with my wife, what does that do to our marriage? When I begin to adopt that practice with my, my children, what does it do for our relationships? What does it do in their lives? When we take that kind of attitude into the workplace... You know, we, we live in a country where we're taught, I don't know about you, but I, I grew up in Arkansas, and we were taught to fight for our rights. Okay? And, and I believe there is a time to fight for what's right. I do. I believe that. I believe that. If, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for police officers, law enforcement officers, who fight for what is right. There is a time to fight for what is right. But a lot of fighting for our rights is really just selfishness. It's really just us exalting ourselves over other people around us. And then more important than us uh, fighting for our rights is us doing what's right for the sake of the people that we love, the sake of the people in our lives. And when we as followers of Jesus take this way of thinking and this way of living and we are changed by it, We are changed in our thinking. We are changed in our affections. We are changed in our attitudes. We are changed in our actions. And when we begin to take this way of thinking and living into our community, you know what happens? It becomes a powerful, powerful gospel life that gives people reason to pause and think more seriously about the Jesus that we follow. Some of us, some of us are Captain Crunch lovers. Okay? Okay? few of us. Uh, some of us are Captain Crunch lovers. Some of us are Cocoa, Cocoa Krispies lovers. Okay? And, and then some of us, uh, Terry, Steve, and me, some of us were oatmeal lovers. Okay? Actually, I love all three of them. You know, why limit yourself to one option? All right? Uh, when we go to the grocery store, we don't have to worry about buying meat sacrificed to idols. But we do need to live our lives guided by a knowledge that's marked by humility and a love that puts the concerns of other people above our own. Let's pray. God, today, I pray that you'll help us to take what we have been reading and what we've been looking at together. And uh, I pray, God, as James says, that we will humbly receive the word implanted that's able to save our souls. That, God, that uh, that we will receive this word and that you will use it uh, in our lives to change us in a really good way so that we're becoming more like Jesus in his thinking, his affections, his attitudes, his actions. 
And we're doing this for the honor, the glory of your name. Amen.